This is the Education Gadfly Show. We may or may have not tried <laughs> to have a bring your dog to work day at Fordham. It may or may not have led to some unproductive hour. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join us in welcoming our special guest for this week, the Taylor Swift of public opinion polling, Kristen Soltis-Anderson. Kristen, welcome to the show. Kristen can't come to the phone right now. Oh, She's dead. Well Nicely done. done. And that voice you hear is Alyssa Schwenks, who's also joined us. Hey, Mike. Alyssa. How's it going? Kristen is the co-founder of Echelon Insights and is the star of an event that we had this week about millennials' views on education reform. We're going to get to all of that. Welcome, Kristen, to the show. Thank you for having me. And so, you know, now you have to put in your bio. Sure, you're on Morning Joe. You're on all the, uh, you know, networks and the Education Gadfly show. Oh, yes. And I, when I tweet this out, this episode out, yes. I will have to use Taylor Swift gifs. Yes. Uh, yes. To be a real millennial, to communicate Absolutely. like a real millennial, hey, which I, is I, uh, I'm Gen X, but I use those. <laughs> I use those, but I, I call them gifs. So that's, that's what makes Well, what about emojis? Do you use emojis? Oh, sure. I okay. use emojis. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll count you as an honorary millennial. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. We, <laughs> and emojis are the cutting edge. Yes. Uh, that's the new thing. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, so much to talk about. Let's get right into it. It's time for Ed Reform Update. All right. Well, Kristen, you came out with a very interesting study a few weeks ago that the Walton Family Foundation sponsored. You have talked about it here at Fordham this week. I uh, have a panel event around it. And it is about millennial views on education, education reform. Give us the highlights. What, what are the, the, some of the things that we should know about how millennials think about education reform? Well, millennials interact with our education system in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Many of us were students in the public school system not mm-hmm. too long ago. Some of us a little a little longer ago than yes. others. Uh, but we're also now increasingly we're parents yeah. of young kids who are entering the school system. Yeah. Um, and millennials make up a majority of new teachers entering the, the public school teaching workforce. Yeah. So millennials interact with public schools in many ways. And we wanted to understand how do they think our schools are doing mm-hmm. and what do they expect out of our public school system? What are the changes and reforms mm-hmm. they're comfortable with? What are right. they looking for? What are they not looking for? What do they, they reject? And so we focused our research on trying to figure out what is a quality education mean to the millennial generation? Mm-hmm. And do they think schools are living up to that promise? And by and large, millennials are pretty positive about their own time mm-hmm. in school. But distressingly, when you ask them, do you think that your time as a student prepared you for the real world, for yeah. college? Uh, a distressingly low numbers say yes to that. So they mm-hmm. think they got a good education, but they're not actually sure they were prepared to do much of anything in the real world oh, upon graduation. Yeah, How do you explain that? I mean, that, that seems like you you wouldn't then think you had a good education if you're not well prepared. I think prepared. when people are thinking of a quality education, you know, they're also factoring in, did I learn how to interact socially with my yeah. peers? Did I have a good time? Right. You know, one of the things we did for this research is we did some focus groups mm-hmm. where before we even did a big survey, we just wanted to talk to people. When you'd ask people about, you know, what did, were some of the things, whether it's, you know, a teacher in school that really inspired you, mm-hmm. you know, they'll have have all of those stories about, you know, gosh, I had this one teacher that really inspired me to want to pursue a career in medicine. And that yeah. may be something that is a quality experience, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the same as I left well school prepared. ready to, you know, pursue and, and, a and career it may be a It's just hard. It's hard to prepare for the real world, right? I mean, there's no, <laughs> uh, there's nothing, you, you can never get this perfectly right. 
right? You've just got to go out there. But what, what did you see in the findings, Alyssa, that, that really resonated with you? As a millennial, yeah. Yes. I mean, so something that really struck me, and I think this is largely because I spend most of my time in Wonk World. I'm yeah. talking to policymakers. I'm talking about policy. But when you talk to millennials, which of which I am one, about like what really they think is necessary in school and what is important. It's kind of intrinsic things that are really hard to quantify or talk about in accountability mm-hmm. systems. It's safe schools. It's teacher creativity. Mm-hmm. It's positive culture. And those are things that I think we acknowledge as, you know, wonk world and policy wonks mm-hmm. are important, but they're really hard for us to access. And when we're talking to parents and teachers about how to improve schools, mm-hmm. understanding that those things are in the forefront of their mind, I think are really critical. Mm-hmm. I, when I looked at the findings, it seemed like there was a lot on the side idea of just cutting the red tape, you know, empowering mm-hmm. educators to innovate and, and kind of getting rid of all this bureaucracy. And that seems to make sense, right? Millennials and young people in general just, you know, f- don't like this idea of these big monolithic systems that uh, that you can't penetrate. You know? Yeah, the idea that we would have an education system that is in any way one size fits yeah. all or well, I guess you're just going to the school that's in your neighborhood because that's where you live. I mean, things that seem very one-size-fits-all or uh, just like a system that doesn't make sense for the modern era, Mm -hmm. young people are, there's a pretty big appetite for change. In the survey, we asked a question that was a contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, I love contrast questions in surveys because (laughs) it's so easy to ask a question. Do you support making sure that every child has a puppy and a rainbow and 95% (laughs) of people will say support? I do support that. And and that doesn't really tell you anything. But if you say... Would you support a national puppies and rainbows program if you knew it cost tax dollars X amount? You know, those questions Mm -hmm. I think are better. And so we asked a contrast question that was, which would worry you more? Yeah. That we would change the school system too much and Uh get in the process, get rid of some things that are working and are good. Or are you worried that we're not going to make enough change Uh and that too many things are going to be left in place? And our schools aren't really going to get better. And by a very wide margin, millennials say, I'm worried change won't be bold enough. Throw out the baby with the bathwater, people. Just blow it up. Now, that's interesting. And and I assume, especially when we think about the sort of the system, which we always have a more negative perception of than maybe what we have experienced ourselves Mm -hmm. for... Uh, you know, personally or with our own kids. One last question. I'm I'm curious about the political angle here. Everybody says that millennials are are much sharper to the left than uh, Gen Xers, uh, and you know, so curious about how that starts to shape what public policies. Does that mean that, for example, millennials are going to be less supportive of some of the things that have been considered quote conservative, like school vouchers or mm. even charter schools? Are they going to be uh, more willing to focus a lot on things like school diversity? You know, we're going to have another push to try to integrate our schools. Are they going to, uh, you know, be willing, let's say upper middle class white millennials be more willing than Gen Xers or baby boomers were to stay in the city and choose integrated schools? Any any sense on any of this stuff? Well, when we ask millennials do, how much they know about things like school choice or charter yeah. schools, the answer is not very much. And and they're fairly candid about that. <laughs> right. Typically in surveys, people will over, over inflate their uh-huh. knowledge of things. But in this survey, I feel like we got some pretty candid. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very familiar with school yeah. choice and charter schools. When you describe them, though, there is more of an appetite for them. Yeah. Um, but there are other policies that I think some in the ed reform community really like that got a less warm reception. Mm -hmm. So things around changing how you compensate teachers to Mm -hmm. be more linked to assessments. Mm -hmm. That did not go over well. Um, We asked questions about teacher unions. And while millennials generally are not big union people, it wasn't that there was a negative view of teacher Mm -hmm. unions. It was Mm -hmm. just kind of a neutral... Neutral to slightly positive. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And what I think the key thread is that runs through all of it is millennials are worried about causing harm 
They want to make sure that teachers and students are being cared for. Mm. And so when it comes to teachers, they want to make sure that there's not harm coming to teachers who are being unfairly penalized by a system that doesn't seem right. But they also don't want kids to be unfairly punished by a system that says you have to go to the neighborhood school Mm. and you have no option to get out of it. Um, So they want to make sure that we are maximizing the amount of care. We are focusing mm-hmm. on teachers and on students. And I think anything that runs afoul of that, which is a little different mm-hmm. than just a right-left divide, mm-hmm. is where you see millennials kind of pushing back. I, I just have the greatest idea about how we fix merit pay for millennials. Puppy pay. Great teachers get a puppy. Who's caring for the puppy when the teachers are in school for 10 hours a day? Uh, well, the kids can help. That, that mean, would be a great, I think, social-emotional learning We, we do love having <laughs> office dogs, don't we? At, at Echelon, dogs, my company, we now have... Yeah? Uh, I probably shouldn't say this because I, I think it may violate <laughs> yeah. our corporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, go good. Yeah, yeah. We we may or may not have a a real or holographic dog yes. that appears in our office on a regular basis, and so we may or may have not tried to have a bring your dog to work day at Fordham. It may or may not have led to some unproductive hours. It, well, well, it maybe, but it, it was it, I thought largely a success. I have a totally open door policy to dogs at this An point. An open door dog policy. Dog policy, not cats. We've talked about cats. Cats. That's a whole other problem. No. Yeah. Cats are no good. This is yeah. where Taylor Swift and I disagree. Uh, she's a cat person, she's and uh, and I'm not saying I, cats I are no good. Just I'm kind work. of Team Taylor on this. You one. can't bring cats to work. That just that doesn't really work out so well. But that's enough about cats and dogs. <laughs> the main thing is people should check out this awesome research uh, as well as the video of this event on millennials and education. And in the meantime, Kristen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It is now time for everyone's favorite Amber's research minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. I would ask you about Taylor Swift, but I think we have talked about this before. Probably. That, that you're not a huge not fan? Not a huge fan. Oh, yeah. I liked it when she was country, but course, then she went yes. to pop and I lost some respect for Miss Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to the next album then. It's very not country. Yeah. I know, and she wasn't really country even when she was country. So she's from maybe she's in Philly. She. Probably in a better spot now anyway. Well, it's fine. It's (laughs) fine. You know, uh, my my son, uh, my 10-year-old, for the first time made a playlist on Spotify the other day. And it was pretty decent. I have to say. Do you have and any like old school what, rock? Well, or you know what? He went, uh, this was impressive. He went from Uptown Funk okay. to Uptown Girl. Really? Really? No Billy Joel. Yeah, isn't that nice? That's nice. And he's a big fan of Imagine Dragons right now. Yes. Okay. Good concert. Which I thought was pretty good. And I, I was yeah. trying to explain to him, see, back in the day when I was getting into music his age, I would have had to go out and spend money on a cassette That's tape. Right. Uh, and but then your cassette player ate, remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you had to like grab the yeah. tape out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> sure. <And then laughs> is going to pretend she knows what we're talking about. I, have, I used to have a cassette yeah. tape. I had one. It was a Rafi cassette tape with Rafi songs on it. Right. Sorry. I had to throw that Ouch. one in there. Ouch. Anyway. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> so what do you have for us? Andy? All right. I have a new study out by two UVA professors. Yes. Gotta love UVA. That exam the effects of universal preschool on grade retention in the early elementary grades in Florida. You guys see this? Mm-hmm. This is a newly, it has, it's hot out on the press because it hasn't even been uh, out in the AFP journal. They have this mm-hmm. little link that says just accepted. Does it oh. say just accepted paper? Okay. Right? So I feel like it's so something special. To be peer reviewed. Yes. Huh. To be, be peer reviewed. To be um Published. I actually think it's already been through your review. Yeah. All right. Expanding state-supported preschool programs has been a big push nationally. You guys know this has been Mm -hmm. all the rage. Mm -hmm. The percentage of four-year-olds participating in such programs doubled from 14 to 32%. 
between mm-hmm. 2002 and 2016. So that's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And in 2005, Florida introduced the voluntary pre-K program, VPK, Free Universal Preschool Initiative. As of 2015, the program serves more than three quarters of four-year-olds in the state, which okay. is a okay. decent chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, there's been little to no research examining its impact. So, da-da-da! Mm-hmm. Um, as an aside, the program has been um, not really seen very positively. People say, oh, it has lax quality regulations. It's not funded enough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't meet these key indicators as National Institute for Early Education Research. You know how they, mm-hmm. you know, mark uh, and evaluate these right. programs. Anyway, They've kind of spread the money around is probably one of the biggest complaints here, right? Yes. Right. That, okay. Serving lots of kids, lots of kids but, but not a lot of money. Low people. quality, right. right. Um, so anyway, that's that. But that said, it's it's a pretty comprehensive program. So analysts study whether VPK led to drops in and the likelihood that children would be retained mm-hmm. between kindergarten and third grade. Mm-hmm. Okay. They track eight cohorts of students, 1.5 million kids mm-hmm. who enrolled in kindergarten for the first time between 2002 and 2009 fall. The first four cohorts did not have access to the universal pre-K when they were four-year-olds, while mm-hmm. the later four cohorts did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, the cohorts are followed through their enrollment in third grade or through 2011-12 whichever occurred first. Since the program is voluntary, analysts employ a number of techniques to account for selection Mm -hmm. and various unobserved characteristics. Okay, Mm -hmm. lots and lots of methods on that. Key finding is that the program participation significantly reduced the likelihood that children will be held back in grade K. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Mm -hmm. The effect does what? Fades Fades out out by second grade. Mm -hmm. In other words, by the time kids complete the second grade, there's no difference in the probability of having been Mm -hmm. retained at least once between VPK participants and non-participants. So the initial drop is counteracted later by increases in subsequent Mm -hmm. school years. In fact, and this is what got me because this did not appear in the abstract. (laughs) It was on page, you know, 52, one sentence. Conditional on not having been previously retained, the universal pre-K participants were actually more likely to be retained in second grade compared to the similar Mm. non-participants. And then they start saying, what could be going on here? Quote, perhaps participating in VPK helped children transition to kindergarten and the expectations of a formal classroom setting. Mm -hmm. But the program may be less effective preparing children for the academic demands of schools. Huh. That's their hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Um, I say add it to the growing number of studies that find fade out Mm -hmm. of preschool Mm -hmm. effects, including the big Head Start evaluation. And oh, by the way, remember Jay uh, Green and Winters Mm -hmm. did an evaluation of the third grade retention policy in Florida? Yep. And they found fade out too, positive effects initially that faded out over time. So, Mm -hmm. Well, and and now keep in mind with the fade out, to be fair, that the one thing that doesn't seem to fade out with pre-K, at least in the good, in, in like Head Start and other things, are some of the non-cognitive benefits, right? Don't, I think that there have been some studies that have what found What were they that, again? So I'm trying to think about what they were looking yeah. at. Um, Persistence. Yeah. If it, I mean, even if you go long-term out enough, can they mm-hmm. even look at graduation and things yeah, like that? Yeah, there's been some of those. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... Absiderian, so, I forget how to Right. Know, so. <laughs> so the academics fade out, but maybe some of the other stuff doesn't. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's so hard to know. I mean, look, I, at some point, the question is going to be this. Do, do, does the evidence matter? It just strikes people as unfair yeah, to right. not have kids in school at age four when, mm-hmm. you know, virtually every upper middle class kid is doing some kind of preschool at age four, you know, and, and, right. 
and it is, you know, having kids, look, four is pretty old. old. That's, you know, yeah. these are this not day and age, babies. right? Yeah, yeah, to have them not in some kind of structured school program for part of the day or part of the week just right. does seem kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's too, did they get into with the program sort of the quality? Because to me, that seems to be one of the biggest challenges with pre-K programs. And mm-hmm. I used to teach yeah. kindergarten. I saw kids come from a lot of different pre-K programs. And I was teaching in DC, which has a really good like in-school mm-hmm. pre-K program. But you know, if kids are going to varying programs, like is the academic rigor there? Right. Right. It's really right. difficult. Well, and that, as I said in the beginning, they are, they basically said it scores pretty low on the quality <laughs> right. front. <Yeah. laughs> right. Any kind of metric. I mean, they don't require, not, not we know the research around certified teachers, but anyway, they don't require teachers to be certified in early childhood. That was one of the things that mm-hmm. they scored really low on. So in terms of inputs, like this program yeah. does not yeah. meet. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to this question about should we be, if we're going to spend more money on preschool, mm-hmm. should we try to concentrate that money on the neediest kids mm-hmm. and actually spend enough that it might make a, a real difference? Yeah. That's was, the argument. Yeah. Look, checkers were making that case for 10 I years. I don't even think it was $3,000. I have to go back. That, but it was wow. a pretty low per yeah. pupil. Wow. Um, price tag wow. so that, the other thing that i was kind of thinking about as you were reading the results is how much you know of that fade out can we track or relate it at all to kind of our raising of expectations for kids particularly mm-hmm. younger kids like if you've talked to a five-year-old they're so smart and so engaged and 10 years ago we were like okay by the time you turn six like you should be able to know your alphabet and now we're like okay like you should generally be right. beginning to read and beginning to kind of delve into text and engage there and you know we've really kind of raised the bars there i think that's right oh in terms Mm -hmm. of that that maybe schools are more aggressive about retaining kids or just in terms of their expectations of a second grader particularly Mm -hmm. given some of the consequences schools might face around testing in third grade Mm -hmm. and this one was interesting right because florida's had this the breeding third grade retention Mm -hmm. policy Mm -hmm. but it was in place because i was like well how did that maybe Mm -hmm. impact the results but it's been in place for all of these cohorts yeah so if it you know it would have affected all of them equally so Mm -hmm. in their in their minds well this is even more reason to think that these results are due to the um Um, program the preschool program and not the retention policy so all right interesting thank you brought to you brought to you first right yes i'm like from the university of virginia stuff that nobody else has covered yet (laughs) all right that is all the time we've got for this week until next week i'm Alyssa schwank and i'm mike petrilli thomas b fordham institute signing off the education gadfly show is a production of the thomas b fordham institute located in washington dc For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.